Hey, we are starting a, a message series today, like I said earlier, called Marriage Audibles. And we think it's a critical message series to get right early in the new year. Over the last few weeks, we've done some stuff where you worked on yourselves personally. Last week, we did some stuff where we worked our, on ourselves corporately as a church body. But we know that relationships in your life are important. The marriage relationship probably is the most important relationship you have. But even if you're dating, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some principles that will apply to you. And in particular, we want to investigate this idea that everyone enters into a relationship with a certain mindset about the way they think it's going to play out. You're pretty certain of a particular role or maybe you have a vision about how your life's going to be as you engage this relationship over the coming weeks or months or years. And the reality is, for a lot of us, I know it's true for me, what I thought was going to be and what's actually happening now are very different from each other. That happens oftentimes because life can throw you curveballs. You can have a game plan going into your relationship or into your marriage, but a lot of times what you have to do is, because of the way life's stacking up against you, you have to stop sometimes and call an audible. You have to change the play that you have in your relationship. And so over the next few weeks, we want to talk about some of the plays you might want to try to institute in your relationships, and in particular in your marriage. We're going to do that starting off today by letting you hear the story of some people that go to our church who are near and dear to our hearts and um, use that as a catalyst for what Ben's going to talk with you about a little bit later. So this is the Cadwallader family. This is Sarah and Chris, and they've been with us now for... I don't know, right at a year or so, something like that. A little less, yeah. A little less than a year. year. And uh, as we've heard their story and gotten to know them over the past several months, uh, we knew at some point in time we're going to put them up here and let them share their testimony with you about what God's done in their marriage as, again, a starting point for some of the kinds of things that we think he'd like to do in many of your marriages. Yeah, and and today what you're going to hear is a unique story. It's theirs. But man, you're, many of you at least are going to be able to relate to this. Whether you're married, divorced, single, all of us have relational dynamics that you're going to be able to connect with today. Uh, the cycle we get into of brokenness and pain and hurt. I want to take you now um, all the way to the beginning of their marriage. For you, both of you guys, mm-hmm. this is the second time around. Mm-hmm. And uh, you came in with eyes a little more open, a little bit more clear what was going on. But it didn't take long after your marriage for you guys to discover there were some problems. How long, Sarah, do you realize, oops, this is not going to be so easy? The night we got home from our wedding. <laughs> it, was, it was that soon. Um, yeah, we were just thrown right into a lot of um, circumstances that I wasn't ready for um, or that we weren't ready for. And um, so that, that first night. What, what were some of the circumstances? Um, well, financial uh, circumstances, also um, becoming a blended family. Um, Chris has three daughters, and so I was a new stepmom, um, and there was some drama within that situation as well. Um, work changes. There was just all kinds of stuff that we faced. Uh, Chris, sometimes the women in the, in the relationship, sometimes the stereotyping, they're like the first to clue in that there's a problem. When did you clue in that there was a problem? Uh, it, it was it was really after that because of her, what she does for a living. You know, she knew exactly what we needed to do, and she, she's a therapist. Yes, uh, yeah. And um, you know, I, I just I didn't want to admit that there was a problem. I thought it was something we could just work through, and um, really wasn't. Uh, I knew there was a problem, but I just thought it was an easy fix. What do the problems look like in your day by day life together? 
what were you doing that was problematic? Just how we communicated. Uh, we couldn't communicate. We were arguing a lot. What that look like? Give me an example. I mean, don't argue. But I mean, <laughs> wow, we didn't do this last <laughs> real, real love now. Right. It's totally real. Um, no, no, but I mean, what 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 your arguments look like? Uh, it was the same thing of just uh, feeling like I wasn't being heard, um, and so I would I would get very agitated and try to you know then speak louder or come at him. Because that always works yeah. when you're not. Yeah. 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 That always works when you're not being right. heard. Just yes, talk just louder. Talk louder, or you know. <laughs> Yeah. And then you would. I would just shut down, mm -hmm. and just and, and all that did was just create this cycle for us. Uh, me shutting down and her getting more agitated. Mm -hmm. Now, for you guys, like Pastor Ben said, this is this was supposed to be your second marriage. So I would imagine that you came into this thinking, "I'm going to do this one right." Mm -hmm. yes. I mean, you learned some stuff from your last one, mm -hmm. kind of got a fresh start. So it had to be shocking when, for you, Sarah, the first night, you kind of roll over and. Get ready to go to sleep, and you think, I don't know about this. Mm -hmm. We're already some things are already challenging to us. On top of that, your counselor, mm -hmm. uh, which would, you would think would help things a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I know every woman thinks they're a counselor. Yeah. But <laughs> I Did took you say a that shot. Out loud? I took a <laughs> shot. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a licensed, trained one. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that later. Here, I thought I was going to have a great Super Bowl night, but it's only going to be partially good. <laughs> And then on top of those uh, couple of things, you guys are both Jesus followers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you've made Jesus your Lord and leader, and you put him first in your life, or at least you tried to. Mm -hmm. And so all those things combined, you had to go into this thinking things were going to be pretty well for you. And here you are early in, and things aren't going so well. Yeah, and so I think a lot of us who are following Jesus, we think that may, maybe internally we think that somehow God elevates us to a plane where it doesn't touch us. Yeah. Or if you face a hurdle, a little more faith, a little more prayer— that wasn't working for you guys. Mm -mm. Talk a little bit about um, what happened with Chris, if you don't mind, um, sharing a little bit about what happened with you and your accident, um, because that really accelerated and poured the heat on the marriage. Yeah, we'd uh, only been married two, two months, and on January 2nd, uh, just started what I thought was going to be a normal day, and uh, got on uh, black ice and hit a tree, and suffered... Um, broke shattered hip and pelvis and severe brain injury uh, that I was in a coma from. And by all accounts, you should not have made it past the no. accident. I mean, it should have taken your life. Yes. Yeah. So here you are, you're in a, early in a marriage. The wreck happened how many <clears throat> months into your marriage? Yeah, it was like a little over two months. Yeah. yeah. And you're already having some challenges, and now you have this. And Chris, I'm, I'm a guy. I think most men in the room can relate with this. I mean, you want to be the provider. You want to be the guy who takes care of your wife. Um, on, on every level that you can, financially, and we won't go down the list. But here you are in this accident, and you're not at all in the stage that you thought you would be early in your marriage, right? And Sarah, that has to be an extra burden for you as well. So talk about yeah. what that was like, having a husband who you thought was going to take care of you, and now he's incapacitated, basically. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't think you can be prepared for that at all. And um, and it was just horrifying and terrifying and... and um, and having to not only be the wife, but then, yeah, have this, this nurse, caretaker-type role that I was just unprepared for, and it was, t it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. So, so the pressures mounted up. They yeah. were financial, family, yeah. blended family stuff. Yeah. You guys are having the same arguments over and over, and they're having the same kind of ending, no real ending. Mm -hmm. And then now you're really incapacitated. You're taking care of him. So no real hope in sight. No. It, Talk a little bit of emotionally, if you don't mind, about what you were feeling and 
where you went. Yeah. I just, I mean, I just want to say that that day that I got that phone call from the sheriff's deputy was, um, you just dread that call. And to, to get to the IC or to get to the emergency room, I was met by the chaplain of the hospital. And so I knew at that point it was bad. And um, the prayer, though, that he, as he led me down the hallway to Chris's room in ICU, preparing me for what I'd see there, um, there was a moment of just utter desperation and crying out um, to God. And he prayed for strength. And I'll tell you, God did give me that strength to get through that first piece when we were in the ICU and then down in Drake Rehab, getting him help there. But when he came home, um, that's when I fell apart. And that's when um, all the trauma of, the, of what we'd just been through, I think, but also compiled with years and years of battling depression, my own depression and anxiety, I think just came, it just all came out. And so I went to a very, very dark place when he came home. So not only was there this pressure of trying to take care of him, but I wasn't functioning. And um, so then there was this, this level of shame that I was just such a failure because I couldn't take care of him. And Nobody likes to feel like a failure. Mm -mm. So here you are looking down the road of your marriage, uh, even in your own performance, and thinking, yeah. I'm just not measuring up. Yeah. Chris, how are, you, how are you feeling? I mean, it took you a while to even regain consciousness. You had some severe physical limitations and some mental ones as well. Mm -hmm. um, thank the Lord most all of that is healed. I mean, mm -hmm. you look incredible. Um, folks can see these pictures, can't they, Greg? Online, yeah. You can jump on, become friends with Chris on Facebook, Chris Cadwallader, and you can see all kinds of uh, images. I was looking through them last night of the picture of your van that you were driving just completely I mean, I'm surprised you made it, man. Yeah. The driver's side of the car is what hit the tree, it looks like, yeah. right, right by where you're sitting. Yeah. And it was just demolished. Yeah. So how are you feeling? We heard how Sarah's feeling. How are you feeling after the wreck and mm -hmm. as it relates to how you had wanted this marriage to go versus the situation you're in? Well, my, my brain wasn't functioning correctly, and then I'm sitting around all day thinking about where we're at in our relationship. And so uh, this is building up all day long because I'm just sitting in this chair all day, and then she would come home and... Um, it never one day went the way that I did planned it all day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I knew she was struggling. I was struggling. And uh, it just wasn't getting any better. But we were seeking counsel. You had actually started to do a little bit of counseling before the accident. Yes. Obviously not a whole lot of time had passed. Mm -hmm. And you were already starting to uncover some things. So you had reached out. I think at one point you told me you had some friends that were rallying and mm -hmm. praying. Obviously a lot of folks leaned in <clears throat> around the accident. Mm -hmm. What were you beginning to discover about yourselves as well as the kind of relationship that had formed around you? Well, um, for me, I mean, I was just seeing how, how much all of this was just linked. All of my history and all of my past was just linked and how um, I did carry a lot of shame and I did carry a lot of um, feeling like I um, was, was just not ever measuring up in, in all kinds of aspects of my life. And that's, so that was helpful in therapy to kind of to start to see how that was linked then to our relationship. And then, Sarah, at some point you yeah. decided to go on a spiritual retreat. Yeah. Um, you kind of took a few days, went away with some women. Mm -hmm. You went through some exercises mm -hmm. there of being in God's Word, being in an affirming environment. Mm -hmm. And you took some time to explore some of these emotions. And I don't want to, like, put words in your mouth, but you, can't, you had a moment in that experience to, to physically, metaphorically, emotionally, spiritually, give it to God. Yeah. Yeah. So talk just a little bit about what that was like. Yeah, um, 
it was right around that time I woke up one morning and I was just feeling distraught, crying out to God of, I just, I don't even think I can be here anymore. I just don't know how to do this anymore. And so I went on this retreat. And so, yeah, we had this opportunity to leave all this baggage at the altar to give it to God. And women are leaving one or two things. And I have this list. I'm like depression and anxiety and fear. I mean, it was, it was just all this stuff. And I, and I wasn't feeling close to God at all at that point. And I just felt this silence, um, leading up to that point and so I'm like okay I'm just gonna if, if this is this is it I'm leaving it here God take it please just take it and change my heart and um and what I experienced was this love I just felt love for the first time in my life that God does love me and he knows my name and that was the that was the turning point for me when we were talking earlier, Sarah, you, you, the phrase you used, um, that you realized you were God's daughter. I was God's daughter, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so did that realization instantly change everything? No, it wasn't instantaneous. There was there was a sense of peace, like I'm heading in the right direction, but no, it, it was wasn't. It was definitely a turn, but it was you still a had a journey to take. Yes. Yep. And Chris, you guys are still doing counseling, and the counseling's beginning to identify some things, but then you guys took another major step where you stepped outside yourselves. Mm-hmm. And you decided to go away on a marriage um, retreat. You did your individual, but now you're going to do the thing together. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular one is called Love and Respect. Yeah. It goes through a book um, that talks about how women want love, men want to be respected, but ultimately asks the man, how are you going to try to meet her needs the way she wants them met? And the woman, how are you going to try to meet his needs the way he wants them met? And this was life-changing. Talk a little bit about that experience. Well, the, the biggest thing for me in the conference was I, I actually had a God moment where it just struck me so hard that um, it's not a, an abdominal Twitter that you get, you know, that you feel when you're dating and you fall in love, but it's about every day waking up and deciding I'm going to love you in the way you need to be loved and give you what you need. And for the first time, I don't know why I was able to hear it at that point. It must have been God, because I finally understood what it took, and and that really changed. Mm-hmm. You, you started asking yourself on a daily level, what do I need to bring to this marriage yeah. so that she experiences the love she needs? Yes. It's funny, because um, there are folks here in, in the room, Jill and I have gone through some of this. We've been married 23 years, and it wasn't a year and a half into our marriage, a year into our marriage, that we started to, it was decades into our marriage that we started really discovering the turn from me getting my needs met to focusing on others and it, it's a game changer isn't it yeah what did you discover oh i just just how much i really was failing and meeting his needs um of respect of just of learning how to respect him as the leader of our home and um the more that he turned to god to, to guide us in our family and um, and work and that kind of thing. That's how easy it was for me to just trust that he is—he's got this. And so by sharing that with him and saying, "Yeah, I respect you, and I will support you in anything you do," it just was change. It changed our yeah. yeah. You, you guys have a unique story, but what I like about it, Chris, you just touched on this. I think most of us can relate with this feeling of love that you have when you first start a relationship. I know when I first started dating my life. The emotions uh, of love were just you know, terrific. Uh, you'd like to have that throughout the entire course of the relationship. But the reality is that usually doesn't linger. It kind of comes and goes, and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not, not. But the more life throws at you, the more that feeling seems to dwindle a lot of times. 
Um, and while your story may not be what the Cadwallader story is, I bet you can relate with life not looking like how you wanted it to. I mean, I know when we had our first child, things changed a ton, and then we had a number two, a number three. I didn't know how life with a kid would look, and those pre- presented certain marriage challenges for us. Yeah. Our kids being involved in school and extracurricular activities, my wife working a career that was a little different than the one she thought when we first started dating, me changing drastically my life course from being in business to accepting a call in ministry, whatever it is that your marriage or your relationship has experienced, I bet you can relate with this idea that you thought life was going to be a certain way, and now it's another way, and some challenges came up, and that can affect a marriage. It can, Greg. And what the what you guys have done well is you decided quickly to go outside your own knowledge base mm-hmm. and to not rely on yourself. Maybe, maybe because you were a therapist, but on the other hand, I think sometimes if you're a believer or you have extra skills, you're thinking, I probably have what I need to, to, to make the, the switch to do the thing. We'll just have that conversation one more time, and this will be the one, right? Mm-hmm. Now, tell folks, what's different now? What's different now? Oh, how we communicate is so different. Um, we actually communicate productively. Um, mm-hmm. There's still arguments, sure, but... Um, you mean you didn't instantly solve all your yeah, problems? No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, but there's just a, uh, a different approach. Um, we meet regularly to talk about things going on in our marriage, and there's prayer, um, and that's a huge component. A she huge she component. mentioned you guys meet regularly. Um, tell folks what you what you did at the end of that um, marriage encounter. You sat together. You actually made a plan, a plan. Talk briefly about the plan. Uh, we went to um, uh, have lunch right after there, right after the marriage conference, and. We came up with a game plan that we were actually going to schedule out time for each other and mechanically get a game plan to where, you know, we're reminded of what each other needs. Mm-hmm. So you had to sit down and talk. Here's how I'm experiencing it. How are you experiencing mm-hmm. it? You know you're going to be heard. You know the conversation's coming. Mm-hmm. And then you introduce prayer. Yeah. So, Chris, she says, and I don't know, have any reason to doubt her, that in, in an argument at some point it's normal for you to grab her hands and say, hey, let's just pray about this and, and lead her in prayer. What, what difference has introducing prayer into the marriage done for the tone of, of your house? Well, it's completely changed um, our conversations, our arguments. Um, at, at the end of any discussion or argument, uh, we, we do submit it to God in prayer. And uh, the fruits of that, the first time was very difficult for me because the way I handled conflict before is I just check out. Mm-hmm. Go in the other room. You let me know when you're calmed down, you know. <laughs> and, and now we sit, we discuss it, um, and at the end we pray about it. And there's not an argument or discussion we have that we don't pray. Yeah. The, the audible that they took and the one we want to explore today with Pastor Ben is they decided they needed someone or something outside of themselves to speak into their marriage. I mean, they were following Jesus like a lot of you. They even had a prior marriage to kind of learn from. And uh, all of that, all the things they had in themselves, that wasn't enough. They needed counseling. They went to a spiritual retreat. They got involved in church, and they went together to uh, individually to a retreat and then together to a retreat. But the principle is you might be sitting here today wondering why your marriage is stuck, and we want to explore the idea that maybe 
it might be time for you to consider looking outside and seeing what other resources God has for you to learn from. To call an audible. Yeah, to call an audible. And say, hey, I see the field of play. I don't like the way it looks. We're going to make some changes. One of the things we're doing to help with that is small groups. There are three or four marriage small groups. I think groups. Uh, learning groups 8, 9, and 10 are marriage development small groups. Um, I, I think a lot of folks should sign up for those. And you guys are leading one of those, right? Ten. Group ten. Group yeah. ten. <laughs> and you're dealing. The love and respect. It's <laughs> love and respect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't mention this, but I use that book mm-hmm. in every premarital counseling um, situation because, for me, I have found it to be just dramatically helpful. Believer, or non-believer, yep. it speaks to the heart and to the real issues that are going on. Yep. What would you say to somebody who's saying, all right, I know I can see some signs on the, the field that we have some challenges. We haven't done anything about it other than just continue to rely on our own wisdom. What would you say to them? Don't give up and seek help. Um, Ask for help. Ask for help. Ask for help. Guys, would you like to say thank you to Chris and Sarah for bringing the value of being real to our stage and sharing their story? Thank you guys so much. Well, I want to talk with you for just a few brief moments about a a significant value as we, again, kick off this inaugural Sunday for our Marriage Audible series. And it's a very simple principle to be on the side screens if you'd want to look at it. Here it is. Wise people, wise people know when they don't know. Wise people know when they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to those who know. Now, wise people aren't wise because they know everything. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is knowing when you don't know, and then turning towards somebody who has the ability to help you take a step in the right direction. In some regards, that's exactly what our church is about. We talk a lot about getting a relationship with Jesus, where God comes down and says, by grace, not by what you do, I'm going to extend myself to you and forgive your sin, let you be in a relationship with the creator of the universe, and I'm just going to accept you the way you are. But beyond that, he also says, and then I'm going to show you In fact, I'm going to grow you to the point where you can begin to experience all the plans I have for you. And he says to each of us, in the same way that you were a sinner, but I accepted you by grace and covered that and loved you anyway, there's also areas in your life where you're broken. And I want to repair that because I don't want you just coming to heaven. I want you to experience all that I have for you. And so he left us his word. He left us groups of people, friends who would pray with. He gave us environments, books we can read, where we can gain wisdom that we don't have in and of ourselves. The wisest man that ever lived, according to the Bible, was a guy by the name of Solomon. And he wrote down a lot of stuff, and other people wrote down stuff that he said. And a lot of those sayings are contained for us in our Bible in the book of Proverbs, or Ecclesiastes is another book, or the Song of Solomon. But in Proverbs chapter 1, right on the front end of his wise sayings, here's what the wisest man in the world had to say. He said, a wise man will hear an increase in learning. Not a wise man knows everything, but he will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will seek wise counsel. This is a perplexing set of words for me, because on one level, it seems like if you're wise, you don't need to seek learning. And if you have understanding, why do you need to seek counsel? But this just goes right to the bedrock of the principle I'm trying to show you, that there is no wisdom in continually to go to the same well to solve problems that you haven't yet been able to solve. Having the same conversations over and over and over again, or maybe sitting in a chair like Chris saying, today I've got the perfect plan that's going to change the trajectory of our marriage, when you've tried a thousand times before. 
No. Wise people know we've gone about as far as we can go, and now I need to reach outside the circle, reach outside of myself, outside of our dynamic, and grab hold of some wisdom that up to this point has been elusive to us. Why would the wise man who has understanding need to seek counsel? Because he knows when he doesn't know. She knows when she doesn't know. And the way of kind of drilling down on this, the same guy, Solomon, in Proverbs chapter 12, says this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise, but wise is the man who listens to counsel. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. The fool says, I'm going to do it my way. I can see it clearly. I don't need any outside help. We're going to be able to get through this. We're going to maybe pray a little more, maybe do a few more activities. But in general, we have all that we need. But a wise man or woman listens to counsel. And the Bible is full of examples of people who did this. Often when you read your Bible, you'll you'll, you'll read the story of how Israel, the little country of Israel, interacted with the country of Egypt. And the head, uh, the king, if you will, of Egypt was the Pharaoh. Well, there was a man in your Bible who was sitting in prison, kind of rotting away. And God had gifted him with the ability to hear uh, from God and interpret dreams. Well, the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, had had a dream, and it troubled him. He realized the dream had significance, and he couldn't, in his own strength, and with his own group of counselors that were surrounding him, he couldn't figure out what the dream meant or its implications for, for, for life and for his reign. And so one of the counselors said, I know, I've heard of a guy in prison who God has given the ability to interpret dreams. And perhaps he, we don't know for sure, but perhaps he can help us figure out what your dream means, Pharaoh. So they called for Joseph the dream interpreter. And here is the most uh, interesting and almost comedic scene in the Bible where the head of Egypt is looking down at a prisoner saying, can you help me? Do you have understanding I don't have? And so Pharaoh, Pharaoh listens to Joseph as Joseph explains what the dream means. And then Joseph takes the risk to speak to Pharaoh and say, not only is this what it means, but here's what you should do. Look at Genesis chapter 41, verse 33. Joseph is talking to Pharaoh, the prisoner to the king, and he says, Therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Can you see the the comedic sense in which the prisoner shouldn't be speaking so forcefully or directly to the Pharaoh? But the Pharaoh had already set an example where he was willing to listen. He had counselors. Outside of those counselors, he was willing to even consider what somebody who really should never even be addressed, addressing the Pharaoh. He, he had the wisdom to even listen there. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 41, verse 37, just a couple verses later, that the Pharaoh not only listened but received what Joseph said. Here's what it says. Joseph, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. Now, I'm just trying to illustrate to you that in your Bible, in real life, for many of us, even in our professional careers, we know the principle that when we've gone as far as we can go, it's wise to reach outside and grab hold of new wisdom, to grab hold of somebody else's insight, somebody who's further along, already been there. But something happens with our relationships. I don't know if it's because we over-romanticize them. I don't know what it is, but we think way too often that we can just pull ourselves up and one more time engage, and this time it's going to be different. Or we can change the environment. We can change the scenery. We can 
tinker with the edges, and somehow there's going to be a radical change. But I want to show you three definitive reasons why you and I should be calling audibles, not just in our marriages, but in the relationships we value. Where we look down the road and say, I don't think this is going to take us where we really want to be. If this thing continues, it's not going to be enjoyable. These are some reasons why we should call some audibles in our meaningful relationships. Number one, no relationship is so healthy that the couple can completely stop investing in the relationship. You're never going to get to the point where you don't need to make an investment. You're never going to get so healthy that you don't need to ask her how her day is. The relationship's never going to get so clear that you won't have to, ladies, find a way to dig down and be respectful and honor the man's role in your life. Never going to get to a point where it's so easy and automatic. The world's just not designed that way. We live in a fallen world, and everything will pull, and ultimately the world is designed to distract you from God's will for your life and for your marriage, for your relationship. So all of us who want God's best for us have to regularly lean in. It's just true that no relationship is so healthy that you can just not attend to it, and then it's going to go well for you. And then number two, another reason why you and I should regularly call audibles is because your relationship will never be all it could be if you keep relying only on your wisdom. The truth is, is you're a good person. There's a lot of things great about you, and you have skill sets that you're going to not only be able to benefit from, but you're going to actually be able to help other people. But along with knowing that you're gifted and loved and have so much good things going on, the other side of that reality is you're not complete. One of my favorite authors, Gary Thomas, says that God didn't give us marriage to make us happy. He gave us marriage to make us whole. In fact, to make us holy and complete. In the sense of marriage becomes a mirror and it reflects back to us our attitudes, our hearts. We get to see what our selfishness really looks like in our marriage. We get to see what our ego really looks like in our marriage. We get to see if we first want to serve or be served. And so marriage becomes that monitor of where our heart really is. And I've certainly seen that to be true in my relationship with Jill. And the truth of the matter is is that my relationships with my kids, with my wife, with people I care about, will never be all it could be if I just keep relying. I have to keep growing. And when I stop growing, my relationships, the things I care about, get dull. They get stagnant. And that becomes then an open door for problems to cycle over and over and over again. There's a third reason why we should call audibles. It's because wisdom for your relationships and mine may come from some very surprising sources. In Pharaoh's case, it was from a prisoner who should never have had the uh, privilege of addressing the king. In my case, sometimes it'll come, well, let me give you a pretend scenario that has never actually happened for Jill and I. Let's just pretend that Jill and I are having a rather vigorous discussion in our car and our kids are in the back seat. They might perhaps at some point say, sounds like somebody's getting upset. That's never happened with Jill and I. But it would perhaps be a source of us learning even from our kids. This is a chance to stop and really consider what's going on. God has used many people in our church. There have been more than once, Jill and I didn't call them audibles, but more than one time Jill and I have looked at each other and said, we don't want to end up like them. You ever, you ever done that? that? You know what that is? That's a chance for you to lean in, look outside, see where you don't want to be, and say, now what wisdom do we need to grab hold of so that we don't end up here? 
God has given us small groups, giving us the preached word of God from this stage. He's given us friends to hang around with, things we can watch on TV, books we can read. Wisdom can come. The challenge isn't that the wisdom is coming at us. The problem is it's many times we're not receptive. And sometimes God has to get our attention by bringing us to the brink of what we feel like is disaster or, or impending doom. And then finally we're really ready to hear and listen. But I don't think it has to be that way for your marriage. I don't think you have to wait till it gets bad. I think you can make it a habit and a pattern of regularly ingesting wisdom from people who've gone before, from the scriptures, from your church community, from other people, close friends that are praying. And I don't mean close friends struggling with just what you're struggling with. I mean friends who used to struggle and now they're healthier and better. Being open and receptive to listening, that can change everything. Wise people know when they don't know, and they are not afraid to go get the help they need. I want you to hear a testimony from somebody in our congregation from a couple years back. It's a little like direct and honest the way we like it around here, keeping it very real. I've been married for three and a half years now. This is a few years ago. It's not been an easy road. About a year ago, my husband had moved out, and we had all our divorce papers signed, and we were waiting for our court date. God, on the other hand, had different plans for us. We dated for almost five years before we got married, so by the time we decided to get married, we thought we knew what we were doing. We were wrong. Our first two years were up and down. There came to be a lot of fighting. We started spending a lot of time on our own. It got bad. There were nights I would come home hoping to find him cheating on me so I could justify getting out of my marriage. Other times I got very paranoid and wouldn't let him do anything without me around. I was always snooping. There was little trust. I looked to my husband to provide me all of my self-worth. We went to church, but even there, there was a barrier, a spiritual barrier. On a family vacation, I discovered my husband was texting a girl from high school. He, he had friended on Facebook. He had been texting her for weeks. He suggested that on our way home from vacation, we should stop and visit her. Now, friends, that's just dumb. That's, not in, that's just dumb. We should stop and visit her. <laughs> since it had been 15 years since he had seen her, I threw a fit cried, I yelled, and he told me it was nothing. Once back home, I started watching his cell phone usage and keeping track of the numbers he called. I snooped, and I read his texts. He was talking to her a lot, and there were others. He would text her while at work, and when I was away, I stayed sick at my stomach, full of insecurity and rage. I felt betrayed and knew he was emotionally connected to her in a way that was bad for our marriage. I knew he was emotionally connected to her in a way that was bad for our marriage. This went on for weeks until we had a total blow-up. Years of fighting, regular loneliness, and doing our own thing consistently came to a head, and we decided divorce was our answer. I felt like a victim, but the truth is, I had my secrets too. I was in college when my husband and I started dating. I had a school buddy that I spent a lot of time working on projects and studying together. He told me one day that he was starting to like me. When I told him I was getting married, he told me not to. It was a nice feeling to have him like me. We started hanging out a lot, and ultimately he started to work at my job, so I saw him even more. We would walk and talk and text occasionally. 
He was always in the back of my mind. I couldn't see it then, but I was emotionally connecting to him in a way that was bad for my marriage. And I was drinking a lot more than I should. And too many of my poor choices and many of our fights, and often when things would get out of control, alcohol was a factor. We signed our divorce papers. He went to her. I went to my buddy. Things happened, and the weeks went by. Then out of the blue, it seemed, he called and said he wanted to talk, not fight. He said he felt God calling him to work things out with me. We had so many things to talk about, deeply hurtful things. He told me this wasn't going to be easy. Repentance to God and to each other was tough. There was broken trust, but there was also genuine sorrow over the parts each of us contributed to our failed marriage. We asked for and gave forgiveness from God and each other as best we knew how. All the secrets were out. For the first time ever, I sensed God in the middle of our relationship. We prayed, talked, and cried so much the next few months. We started seeing a counselor. We worked on the things we talked about in our sessions. We had a handful of friends praying for us. God's grace is why I'm still married to my husband. God's grace is at work in us. I finally stopped looking to my husband and to anyone else to fulfill the parts of me that can only be filled by Jesus. My identity is no longer in my husband. I'm coming to know that it is in Christ. This has been a tough journey and we're not through. My husband isn't perfect and neither am I, but we're seeing through different eyes now. Trust is being restored. I respect him more as well. God is bringing us through. I challenge you, she writes. I challenge you to never think you've messed up too much. Don't say, I cannot forgive. Don't say, this marriage is over. Jesus Christ died on the cross to wash away our sins. Jesus has already carried the full weight of our burdens. Jesus is bigger than this world, and with him we can do things we never thought possible. She writes, when you choose Jesus over your hurt, over your pride, and over your sin, things change. His way is not the easy way, but it's the better way. And our heart for you, God's heart for you, is that your marriage thrives. And he's put tools in front of you to grab hold of. He's put environments you can engage, material you can ingest. The wise person says, I know we've gone as far as we can go. Now let's go outside the circle and get some real wisdom and move forward. And only the fool says, we can do this on our own. Why don't you grab out your connect card and let's take some steps together as a congregation. I wonder if there's anybody today that would say, all right, Ben, I've heard you talking a lot about Jesus and all this, but I don't really have a relationship with him. I don't really know him or I'm distant from him. You know, you can change that in a moment. You can change that in a moment. Long before you ever get cleaned up or fix your problems, you can give your life to Jesus and accept him as your Lord and Savior. We, another way of saying that is accept him as your friend, your forgiver, and your leader. We'd like to give you an opportunity to do that today. On your Connect card, there's a next step A that simply says, I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. If you'd like to do that, all you have to do is check the box and put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by, and then our church will send you some information. You're not joining our church. We're not going to hound you for stuff. It's just some information to read about what a relationship with Jesus looks like and how it can begin to change everything about your life. Or next step B, perhaps, is your choice today. I need to get baptized and go public with my faith and let folks know that Jesus is changing my life. I want to demonstrate the newness of life that I have in him. How about next step C? And friends, I think even if you're busy, you need to do this. 
find a way to join a small group. Go ahead and commit and then adjust your calendar around it. Groups um, L08, L09, and L10, learning groups 08, 9, and 10 are all about marriage. There are other groups in there. It'd be a great opportunity to lean in and either do some maintenance on your marriage, dive in deeper, tackle a problem. It might be the very bit of information you need to turn this thing around. How about next step, D? I want to try hard to attend all four weeks of the Marriage Audible series. We're going to deal with three more major topics in marriage that trip a lot of people up. You're going to hear some more testimonies and some, some advice from some experts. We're going to go to God's Word. And I'm hoping you'll join me and come with an open heart to receive. God, if you want to speak to me, I want to listen. And if I've been in my own fog or in my own head and I haven't looked outside, God, would you pierce through? And would you let the words from the stage, the words from these experts, would you, would you let them penetrate my heart? Once you make a commitment for your marriage, for the relationships you value, hey, you're going to come and learn from God's word. How about next step E? This is a kind of a bold and honest prayer. It's less about fixing the other person and it focuses on you. Today, I'm going to ask God to make my heart soft to my spouse. Listen, if you're not married and, it, and it's, it's a relative, a brother, a sister, whoever that, God, I want you to make my heart soft to them. And I want to ask you for the wisdom that you have for me. If you'd like to do that, check the box and we'll join with you in prayer. When the offering buckets come by, you'll put that in. Let's pray about those things right now. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for being a God who loves us. A God who never gives up. A God who really does change things. God, thank you for reaching out to us. God, I join right now with folks in this room who are deciding to make you their Lord and Savior. They're saying, yes, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. Lead my life. God, I pray that we wouldn't hide behind busyness or poor experiences in the past, but that some of us in this room would go ahead and just sign up for a small group. We would engage your truth on a level we haven't in a while. And we'd come with an open and receptive heart to hear. God, I pray for those of us that have some bitterness and hardness, that you would pull away and chip away the hurt. And underneath, we would find again a soft heart, a flesh of, of openness and responsiveness to you and to others. God, we commit all of this to you. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.